We want to open up God's Word this morning and, and study it because we believe in the power of God's Word and that God has revealed Himself self through that. Um, so we are in the book of Jude. Um, we'll be here, um, this is our fourth Sunday, so we're finishing up the book. We've been studying it verse by verse by verse, and we've entitled this series, Beloved, that's anyone that's a follower of Christ, Contend. And God's asking us through Jude to contend for the faith that was entrusted to us. So again, this will be the last week. Next week, we have the privilege of having Robbie Isley here, um, Ed and Karen's son. He's a youth pastor in Iowa, and he's going to come back, and he's going to preach the Word of God. He called me, I don't know, nine months ago, and he said he would love to have the opportunity to come to back to his home church and preach. And he said, I'm coming back to hunt. Um, so I would love if we could make it work around Thanksgiving. So he's going to be here next weekend, and uh, we're excited um, to, to hear him. We'll also have uh, communion uh, for, for that. Um, speaking of hunting, I've got a, a meme up here that I thought was kind of fun. Dear Lord, thanks for telling Noah to put white tails on the boat. <laughs> I am one that is forever uh, grateful for that. It's been a great, great hunting season. And I got a couple of my kids. Uh, my kids are home this week to hunt um, this week. So uh, Dylan, I know Everett's sleeping. You don't have to wake him up. But uh, um, do you want to just say anything about him? No. <laughs> you want to pop him out a minute? You don't have to. <laughs> So very good. Well, welcome. <laughs> it's, it's been fun, and I've struggled with the whole idea of being a grandparent. Um, just wrestled through that. It's, I love it. It's a great thing. But what's, the joy to have him, but what's the greatest joy is to watch your kids parent and be intentional about wanting this young man to be raised for God's honor and glory. And it's just, just a fun, fun thing. So they did make it to their church um, last week, and they said the pastor was short. It's not going to be short today, guys, so hopefully he sleeps um, really, really well. So I want to start with, uh, I guess I want to start with the five phrases. Usually we read the Word of God first, and then I talk about the five phrases but these are the five phrases that's going to help us through the last nine verses of Jude today. Salvation is of the Lord. Last days are here. Our work, contend, and doxology. Salvation is of the Lord. And I want to start there. So if you are a note taker or if you take notes, and take them out before you read the Word of God. Because I want to set this up um, because it's so, so important. So I want to ask a question to have you think about to start. How long do you think it would take you to walk away from your faith? How long would it take you to completely lie behind your faith? I want you to think about that just for a few seconds. Ponder that question. Wrestle with it in your mind. Sure, there's different answers floating around in people's mind, but John Piper said this, he said this statement, that if it was not for God's active work in his life, he would be an unbeliever by sundown. This is one of the greatest preachers that live in our generations. And he said if it wasn't for God's active work, he would be an unbeliever by sundown. 
And the older I get, the more I realize, realize how wicked and how deceitful my, my heart is. And I've wrestled with this question this week. You and I desperately need Jesus. We need Jesus to rescue us from our sin that we were born with. It's not, and it's not a one-time event where we get rescued. Yes, there's the beginning of salvation, and I want to lay that out very short. But we often speak of salvation of that one-time event. Like, I prayed a prayer, or I, I filled out a card, or I came forward. And that's great. And that's the marvelous gift of Jesus as he starts the process of salvation in your life. But we all need to see salvation as a process. And let me explain this to you before you throw stones at me. All of us are born sinners. We're all separated. We're condemned from God. We're condemned to die and spend eternity in hell apart from Christ. But in Christ, say that with me, but in Christ, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been saved from the condemnation and the penalty of sin through the repentance of faith in Jesus. And that's what we're singing about. That's why we're here this happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. When God calls us and draws through the work of his Holy Spirit. And we realize that we are a sinner. And we're in need of Jesus to rescue us. And then we confess that with our mouth. We repent from our sins and we turn 180 degrees. And we believe in our heart and confess of our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And at that time, that very moment, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And we get a new identity. We have been saved. But we're also, we are being saved from the power of sins in our life through God's sanctifying work. We, we can speak of salvation as a current, um, a, a, a current event that's taking place because God is sanctifying us. He's making us holy. He, he's, he's working in our lives. He's revealing sin. And then we confess. So we have been saved we are being saved, and we will be saved. We will be saved from the very presence of sins, and that's not going to happen until we reach eternity. This part of our salvation is, is, is future because God is going to finish. Say it with me. God's going to finish. God is going to finish what he started, no matter how long it takes. So we can agree with Jonah when he was in the belly of the fish and he cried out, salvation is of the Lord. Say that with me. Salvation is of the Lord. This is to say that God, that, that salvation through God is God determined, God purchased, God applied, God secured from start to finish. Salvation is of the Lord. He keeps us all the way through it. God is our keeper. We are called. What does Jude say? We are called, we are kept, and we are loved. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. This, however, does not mean that you and I do not have an active role in our salvation. We can't do anything to earn it. That is a free gift of God. But scripture is clear. We get to participate in sustaining our faith, and then we contend for the faith. Beloved, contend. 
So this morning we are going to look at this in a little bit more depth and hopefully we'll have a little bit understand, more understanding of it and we'll be able to see the damage that these ungodly false teachers that are worldly, that have wormed themselves into the church, the damage that they are doing, not only to themselves, because last week we looked at their judgment and it was not pretty, but we're going to see the damage that they're doing to the church and then we're going to see how we as believers contend for our faith and then he's going to, Judah's going to end with a doxology. So stand with me as we read the last nine verses of Jude. There's only 25 verses, and this is week four as we've been going through it, verse by verse by verse. Let's read it together. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there will be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the presence, and beyond all time. Amen. So, Father, these are your words passed down, entrusted to us as believers in Jesus Christ. May we be faithful to them. May we study them. May we meditate them and eat them as our very own food. And may they sustain us. So, Father, may the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation that has been spewing up in my heart this week be pleasing to you, O oh God, because you are my rock and you are my redeemer. And I praise your holy and wonderful name because all glory belongs to God. May your fame and renown be spread here among these people. And as they leave today, spread it in Oceana County and around the world. And we pray this in your precious and holy name, your son Jesus Christ. Amen. Please take a seat. So first phrase kind of already covered it. Salvation is of the Lord. Our second phrase is last days. Say that with me. Last days. We are living in the last days. So our, our, our passage starts out in, in Jude chapter 17. But you, my dear friends. So, so he's talking to those that are loved, called, and kept. That's you as a believer. That's the believers back in the early church. You must remember that the apost what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers. 
And then it goes on, whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. So, so Jude's readers are familiar with what he taught. This is nothing new to them. He's reminding them that there's going to be false teachers and scoffers and ungodly people in the church. It was predicted by the other apostles. It was predicted by Jesus, and we looked at that. Jude is writing around A.D. 67, and by this time, most of the apostles have been slain for their faith, crucified, arrowed, beheaded for their faith. And the ones that haven't are kind of around the world doing the work of the gospel. And, And Peter In his last letter, he warned the church about this too. Or he says, most importantly, I want you to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. So so the last days consist of the ascension of Jesus until Jesus comes back. 2,000 years. I mean, it seems like to us that's a long time. When's Jesus coming back? He's going to be soon. He told the disciples that. But in Jesus' economy, a day is like a what? A thousand years. So we are in the last days approaching when Jesus is going to come, and we don't know when that's going to, going to happen. So he's saying, you would expect these scoffers to be outside the church, but they are inside the church. They're inside the church and they're wrecking havoc on people's lives. When I woke up on Wednesday after the election, one of the first things I did was Google the results. I went to bed about 9.30 and I was like, ah, this might be promising. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I was disappointed to say the least. But it didn't surprise me. And here's why. So I had to uh, officiate a uh, wedding in downtown Grand Rapids at the end of September. I had 11 weddings this year. I love doing weddings. But we were early. And as Stacy and I drove around, we saw every sign was to support Proposal 3. Wherever we went, in front of churches, in front of homes, it was all over. And I, I got to the church early, and I talked to the pastor, and I talked to the, I talked to the lady who was um, kind of the wedding coordinator, and I talked to the, uh, the organist, and they were big proponents of it. I just shook my head. I'm like, do you not read the word of God? And then uh, if you look at Pew Research, just under 70% of the population in Michigan says that they are Christians. And that they live and they vote not under the authority of God's word. 45% of people voted yes on proposal, or no on proposal three, and the rest voted no. And the reason I'm talking about this is because we as Christians need to contend for the faith. There's false teachers and scoffers sitting in churches every Sunday morning. And even even non-believers can see this. I want to quote a scoffer that's outside the church. She's not born again. I would consider her a a friend of mine. When she was responding to a a, a question on social media, so a a young lady that I had knew um, posted this question. How did one nation under God fall so far away from God? She's in her early 20s. I'm like, that's a great question. The unbeliever is an interesting thread, but this is what the unbeliever wrote. Church, 
Pay attention. My two cents. If Jesus was around these days, he would have the whip out and use it on those folks in the temple. I think the churches better start looking within. As an unbeliever in this community. In the last days, there will be scoffers. We should expect it outside the church, but they're also inside the church. False teachers, ungodly people. The church needs to contend for the faith by living out what the Word of God says. Jude is so relevant for today. But Jude said this because their whole goal of these scoffers, the whole what it came out of their, their hearts, verse 18b, their purpose was to satisfy their ungodly desires. They did not live how God called them to live. They were going to do what they wanted to do. And 19b says they follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. Oh, I wish I could stop right there for the rest of this sermon. These ungodly people were void of the Spirit. The Spirit's not active in them. The Spirit's not working in and through them. They are not following or listening to the Spirit. Their lives are not producing the fruit of the Spirit because they are not born again. Very, very important point here. It's the presence of God, the presence of the Spirit of God in us that marks us out as the people of God. The presence of the Spirit of God in us that marks us out as the people of God. This is what Moses said all the way back in the wilderness. Lord, is it not that you go with us? That keeps us separate and distinct from other nations? That's what they were known for. What makes us the people of God is the presence of his spirit living within us. Any group, any church, any individual can claim all they want about themselves, but if the spirit of God is not with them and in them, they are not the people of God. That is why their teaching, Jude is saying, is both contrary to what God has revealed, and this is what has brought divisions within that local church. Verse 19a says, these people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They seek to destroy the unity that the Spirit brings. And since they are working contrary to the Holy Spirit, they are at odds with what, what, what God himself is up to. To be contrary to God is to be rebellious to God and to his people. It's, it's quite likely that these false teachers are saying, you know what, we're, we're being led by the Spirit this is how one author kind of summarized it. The, te the, the teachers Jude opposes certainly do not say we are denying the Lord and working towards destruction. Follow us. Rather, they must have said we have true insight and Jude does not. Reject him. And Jude is saying they've caused division. They're worldly. They're, they're devoid of the spirit. They can say what they want, but what is their life pointing to? What's your life pointing to? People look at you and they say, if they really knew who you are. So in the next verses, Jude gives the church instructions on, on how to make sure they do not fall away. 
He gives them a command, and then he gives them three things to help fulfill that. So first he's talking to the, 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 the church and saying, okay, this is what's going on. Now pay attention. I don't want you to fall away. So I entitled it, Working It Out. The command is at the end of verse 21. This is what it says at the end of verse 21. In this way you will keep yourselves safe in the love of God. What's the command? What is it? Keep yourself safe in the love of God. But, it, but it's kind of a strange command, isn't it? Because if you look back at the first verse in Jude, I am writing to all of you who have been called by God the Father who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus, spelled wrong, Christ. Who's keeping them in verse 1? Come on. Jesus Christ is keeping them in verse 1. Now in verse 21, who's keeping them? themselves so so how does this work there's there's god is the one that is keeping them but they must also participate in that work there, there's tension here and it's a tension we see all the way through the new the new testament god is working and because of the god's grace we have to work and he's calling this church to work to keep themselves so, so we want to kind of walk through a few verses in the New Testament. So first, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. We're going to just kind of walk chronologically. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Um, then we'll be in Ephesians, and then we'll be in Philippians. I'm going to read two of them out of the NLT and two of them out of the ESV. So 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Watching how God works. Watching how we need to work. Here we go. But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. Who is it all because of? God. And not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other pastors, yet it was not I, but it was God who was working through me by his grace. God's working. But he's asking Paul to work. Now, flip, flip to 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 8, not very far forward. I'm going to read this one out of the ESV. Great job turning there, or flipping, or screening, or whatever you're doing. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Who's doing the work? God. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is working. Because God is working, we need to be working. Because God is working, he's given us his grace so that we can abound in every good work. Doesn't that take the pressure off us? We just do what the word of God says and we live. Now Ephesians 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10. This will be the ESV again. I want to read this to you. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So who's working? Both. And what's our job? Walk in them. Walk in them. We make it so complicated. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. This will be all the NLT. Right after the very familiar passage um, about the attitude of Christ. 
having the attitude of Christ. Start in verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Who's working? Both. I love this. For God is working in you and then giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Oh, but pastor, I struggle. I just can't defeat this temptation of pornography on my phone. God's giving you the power. It's a battle. I'm not belittling that. But God's giving you, God's giving you the power. So who's doing the work in these verses? One more time. First starts with God is. He is clearly doing the work. Yet what's the response of God working in us? We must have faith in his son and we must work. So you understand why I started out with the Lord is our salvation? Past, working, and now. There's a process here. We are saved, let me make this clear one more time. We are saved by faith alone. Through grace alone. Your works are not going to save you. But the way that we must work is in cooperation with what God is doing through his grace. That doesn't get you excited. Man. We must be in submission to him, submission to what, what he is doing, submission to the spirit that he has put in us. We need to be walking in that spirit. These ungodly people were devoid of the spirit. God works and he brings radical change in our lives. And the right response of ours is to submit to him. And the reason we can do that is because God is already at work within us. So G.U.T. tells his readers that they must keep themselves in the love of God. You must work at this thing called the life of faith. But he doesn't leave us wondering how we do that. The first one, verse, go back to verse 20. Build each other up in your most holy faith. Build each other up in your most holy faith. It's in community that we build each other up. We have the presence. Every one of us that is born again, follower of Christ, has the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't have to go to the temple to have the Holy Spirit. But he commands us to gather together as believers so the presence of God comes together as one. But then we do that in community. You cannot get that online. You can only get that in person with other believers. But it's powerful. It can only happen in community because it's in the church that all the spiritual gifts are present. They're given to believers and they're necessary for this building process. Having all of us come together. And when we're in Community, when we're building each other, each other up, our faith will be encouraged and it will be strengthened. When you see and you hear and you experience the truth of God, we're built up. I mean, we've all gone through seasons of hurt and doubt and discouragement. And you need that truth. You need to see in other people. You need, you need to open the word of God first, but then you need to see in other lives what God is doing. And, and, and sometimes you watch what God is doing and you're like, that is just what I needed for this day. 
We, we try to clean up our own messes sometime because life is hard. Oh, I don't want to get involved in somebody else's life. It will be messy. But God calls us together in community to build each other up. And as we're in community, we have to open up the word of God. Your small group needs to be centered around the word of God. Our time here, over about half our service, is centered around the word of God. I mean, the whole service is, but teaching of the word of God. It's great to do life together, to be in community, to build each other up, but it's got to come through the presence of the Spirit and the word of God. So how are your small groups? How's your home life? Are you centered in building each other up? The second thing he says is pray in the power of the Holy Spirit in, in 20b. Because the Spirit is among them, they are commanded to pray. The Spirit leads us into an active prayer life. The Spirit brings things to mind and you pray about them. You open up God's Word and the Spirit shows you things and you, and you read through that passage and you pray that back to God. So how do you keep yourself from falling? First, build each other up in a community. Second, be involved in the prayer, which the Holy Spirit will help you and enable you to do that. And the third way that we keep ourselves in the love of God is found in verse 21. Await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. To live in hopeful expectation of the mercy of God that Jesus will return on us when he, when he returns, that he'll bestow on us when he returns. Although his present mercy is phenomenal, the, the, the forgiveness and, and, the, and, the, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit living in us, when we get to heaven, oh my goodness. So we look forward to that. So build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. But now he turns to the church. And he tells them to contend for those that are starting to fall away. That are being influenced by the false teachers. Those believers that are going into areas of their lives that will draw them away from the faith. What did he say a metaphor was earlier? Shipwrecked? Like a cloudless cloud without, with a, like a rainless cloud? These believers are walking away and they're about to get shipwrecked. So verse 22, this is the first thing he says. Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. How do they know their faith is wavering? Because they're in community. They show up together. They eat together. They do life together. And they see that they're wavering. They see that these people were enticed by these false teachers who were saying things that sounded right and they were claimed to be led by the Spirit. And Judah's saying, uh-uh. Reach into their life. Come alongside of them. He doesn't show them condemnation here for being led astray. He shows them incredible concern, incredible compassion, incredible mercy, saying, no. Don't go down that path. You go down that path, and you'll go the same way that these false teachers go. So he's telling the church to show incredible mercy to those that are being led astray. But then he takes it down a notch. 
further down the path. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. That's something active. They're, they're close to falling over the edge. Close to becoming, following hard after these false teachers. You need to snatch them back. You need to reach into their life and do everything you can to reach out and grab them. Grab a hold of them. Grab aggressively so they don't fall into the flames of the, the, the eternal judgment. And then there's a third group. Show mercy still to others. One, one more. But do so with great caution, hating the sins that can contaminate their lives. The ESV uses a powerful metaphor here. Hating even the garment that was stained by the flesh. I think he's thinking back to Zechariah there when he's talking to the priest of Rubberball about, about God giving him a brand new inner garment. Because, because he's now a child of God. And, and as a priest, he cannot have his life being stained by sin. And these false teachers have drawn these people so far away that they're, now they're involved in that sexual immorality. Now they're lying about God. Now they're living how they want to live. And Jude is saying, when you reach out to them, be very careful. Do not let that sin contaminate you as well. Live out of your new identity in Jesus Christ. Jude is very clear that these false teachers and these people that follow after them will not escape the judgment that is coming. But he's really... I, I love that progression because he's, he's saying, doing it with mercy. You see that in the third one again? Do it with mercy. But he wasn't that way last week as we talked about judgment for the teachers. Why does God give teachers such a higher standard? And he's going to hold them to that. Look at something that J Jude's brother wrote, another brother of Jesus. In, in James chapter 3, 1, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's far more dangerous to be a teacher that leads others astray than to uh, be a student who believes falsely. The damage a teacher can, can, can bring to a congregation, the damage an ungodly father can bring to their family, the damage that your testimony, when you're not walking with God and you claim you are, can bring to the people that are around you is devastating. When I was a youth pastor, that was one of my soapboxes. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, you better live it. You need to be a light wherever you go. Be honest about your mistakes. Be honest about your messy life. But your strongest desire is to live and have your life shine for Jesus Christ. He judges the teachers. And I don't want, this whole series, I don't want you to just think, oh, false teachers, just Pastor Ryan up here teaching. He's talking to all the ungodly people in the church that were not living their life like God has called them to. Higher standards for the teacher, but each one of us are being teachers in some way. Someone you're discipling, somebody you're working with, people are watching your lives. So he ends this letter with a doxology, and I love how he does this. We've been quoting it every week at the end. So a doxology is a statement of praise for God for something specific, something that he does, and then a description of why they can praise him for that. 
So he starts out, Now all glory to God who is to keep you from falling away and bring, with, bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. So he's keeping you from what? The first one. Falling away. And he's keeping you so he can present you faultless to his father. Jesus is wrong. That's the outcome of our salvation. That's the intended goal that God has for us when he redeemed us. I love what Paul says in Ephesians when he's talking to the husbands and wife. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Jesus gave himself up to the church. Why? So he could present you faultless to his father Washed clean, holy. That's an unbelievable thing to think of. God came to rescue his people so that they can be holy. Our salvation is just not so we're spotless so we can go to heaven. But it's also for this life here where we're on earth. And that's why Jude is so passionate. He said, I am Jesus' half-brother. I did not believe for the first 30 years of my life. But I watched the resurrection and I watched what happened there, and I'm fully in, and it changed my life. And now there's people in the church that are trying to wreck it. But our glory to God, our glory to Jesus, because He can present you faultless. Nobody else can. Only you can't work hard enough to be faultless. You can't read your Bible long enough to be faultless. We want to be in the Bible, but it comes through Jesus. And then our response is to work. To live a holy life. The gospel is about transformations. Everybody look at me and say it. The gospel is about transformation. Is your life transformed? Is your life transformed? That's why Paul, he can say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation so that we can stand before Jesus, before, before God, and say, my Savior bought me and has presented me faultless. No blemish at all. But this is why we get to praise him. And this is how it ends in verse 25. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Why is he able? Because he is the only God. We use the acronym GOAT all the time. Greatest of all time. God's the only one that can fit in that category. Only God is truly great. He's also our Savior. He's also our Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. All glory and majesty are his. He is the only one worthy. He's the only one worthy of power and authority forever. All things are under his control. All, everything that's happening in this world, including your life, 
and my life. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because Jesus is the glory and the power and the majesty and the dominion forever and ever and ever. So Jude concludes his book with a doxology. And we've spent four weeks walking through this book. 25 verses. And we learn that there is a faith that needs to be contended for. It was entrusted for us once for all times. Handed down to the saints. We learn that this faith is worth being contended for. This faith is repeatedly threatened from people inside and outside the church. And then he calls us to contend for it. The duty of every believer is to contend for it. As a Christian, we need to believe certain things and live certain ways. So my prayer is that you will take this faith which Jesus has handed down and you'll hold it up to your life and you'll say, what does my heart look like? You'll be in the word of God and say, what's going on in my own life? The first question is, are you even in the faith? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and say, I have no idea what Pastor Ryan is talking about. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, sent by his Father. He died for your sins and for my sins. He rose again, now he's seated with his Father in heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit for us. And now we have to contend for this faith that he's given us. Some other questions. What am I doing to guard myself from becoming a scoffer, a false teacher? The older you get in the faith, you should become more sweeter, not more bitter. You should love the Word of God more. Dig into it more. How's your heart? Number three, God is the one that keeps us. But what am I doing to keep the faith? Are you building up the body? Are you praying in the, the Spirit? Fourth, what choices am I making that are cheapening the marvelous grace of Jesus? That was his biggest complaint against these false teachers. You've got the marvelous grace of Jesus and you're choosing the things of this world. What is it in your life? And finally, are you contending for the faith or are you contentious? Are you contending for the faith or are you contentious to the things of God? So we're going to sing two songs as we end. During the first one, you can gladly sing along, but I want you to think about Jude. And I want to think about the lessons we learned about for the last four weeks. I want God and His Spirit to minister to your heart as we sing this song. And then we'll close in the last song.